0: You may be seated. When you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Jonah. We are uh, in chapter 3 today, so we've crossed kind of the halfway point of the book. The story really begins uh, to take a transition today. I hope you've had fun uh, meditating on the book of Jonah. It's been fun for me. And challenging for me um, to to meditate on these passages and also to uh, write sermons. I hope they've been a blessing to you. What we're going to do today is we're going to read Jonah chapter 3, but I want to start at the last verse of chapter 2, at uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, and then we'll read all the way through chapter 3. I'd remind you that this is God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Jonah, beginning at chapter 2, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful little book of Jonah. Lord, you know how it is a favorite as we think of the stories of the Bible, and we thank you for the many lessons that we learn in it. Lord, as we reflect on the great work you did in the city of Nineveh so many years ago, we pray that you would help us at this day. Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to each one. In fact, Lord, it is that upon which we count. Um, we count on uh, you doing a miraculous work, even speaking through the public preaching of your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would whisper into our ears, that you would speak to us and tell us what you would have us to hear each one. Lord, we pray that you would apply this, your word, to our hearts and to our lives, that we might be changed, that we might follow you and live lives into your glory. We'd ask you to hear our prayer in Christ's name, amen. I recently uh, was watching a video and it was on uh, car restoration. Uh, they found this uh, classic car out abandoned um, in the field of some property, and after taking a quick look at the car, uh, they asked the owner if they had the title and if they'd be willing to sell the vehicle, and you've probably seen these videos and know how they go in general. Uh, from there, they take uh, the car away, and then they take you through the process Of seeing that car restored. And there are uh, a variety of reality TV shows like this. Some focus on cars, uh, but others focus on uh, furniture restoration or maybe um, completely remodeling an old home. Uh, Some are even uh, makeover shows uh, where people are given an entirely different look. And these shows all seem to have one thing in common, and that's to take you through the renovation process, but to not show you uh, too much. And that's because they want to have that uh, big reveal at the very end of the show. Uh, The idea is to, one, make you hang in there for the entire show, so you watch all their commercials, right? Uh, But at the end, the idea is to make you go, Wow, what a transformation. I can't believe that's the same um, car, that, that rust bucket that was out in the field. Or, or maybe it's a house that's been uh, transformed. You say, man, it is incredible, that transformation. And in our text, our text is designed to give us that reaction when you see the transformation of Nineveh. You've got to understand, Nineveh was notorious for being a wicked nation, one that was known for its violence and for its cruelty. And they repent. They call out to the God of the Bible. It's incredible. Verse 10 says that Nineveh turned from their evil way. This text teaches that God can do incredible things, that he has mercy towards sinners who believe and turn from their ways. And it encourages us to carry the message of the gospel to the lost. So we're going to ask ourselves questions about the text. What does this text teach us about the message that we carry What can we learn about faith and repentance? And how do we see the merciful character of God in this text? We're going to begin answering those questions with our first heading, The Message of Repentance Received. The Message of Repentance Received. The book of Jonah begins with God giving Jonah a command to go and preach in Nineveh. But instead of going, Jonah flees from God and heads away from the city. Uh, You know the story. Jonah boards a ship uh, to escape, but God stirs up a storm that is so intense that it leads Jonah to being cast into the ocean. The Lord didn't want Jonah to drown And he wanted to do a work in Jonah's heart. So he appointed a great fish to swallow him and to bring him back to shore. And we see that God loves his children. He cares for them. He protects them. He doesn't give up on them. Ever. He's committed to seeing them mature in their faith. So when God sees Jonah going astray, he uses his ordeal at sea and in the belly of a fish like a surgeon uses an instrument to perform surgery. God used it as a corrective tool for Jonah's good. And when the operation was complete, Jonah found himself recovering on dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. You'll notice that the opening words of chapter 1 and 3 are almost identical. And that's by design. God wants you to see that he is gracious and that he offers his people new beginnings. Think of Simon Peter. He experienced a similar restoration. Do you remember Peter's threefold denial of Jesus on the night that he was arrested? This was the absolute lowest point in Peter's relationship with the Lord. While Peter was warming himself by the fire, waiting to see what would come of Jesus, he was asked Several times, if he was one of Jesus' disciples, he said, "No, I am not one of his disciples." To make matters worse, Jesus witnessed, he witnessed Peter's disloyalty. And Peter knew it. Luke 22 says that Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. And that afterward, Peter went outside and that he wept bitterly. He was crushed by his sin. He couldn't believe that he did it just hours earlier. He was boasting about how loyal and dedicated he was. Well, after the resurrection, Peter is drawn near to another fire but Unlike the earlier fire which cost him his loyalty to the Lord, this one was lit by Jesus himself. And instead of being asked if he knew Jesus, it was Jesus asking Peter if he loved him. Peter understood that the Lord had forgiven him, but he must have feared that permanent damage had been done to their relationship. That's often how it is between people. Maybe he wondered if he'd be sidelined because of his sin. But as Jesus spoke to Peter, the depth of his love and his restoring grace became clear. Jesus assured Peter, and then he reinstated him to the task of shepherding his people. And to his commission as a fisher of men, Peter knew that he was being offered a fresh start when again Jesus said, follow me. These words took Peter back three years to the beginning of their relationship. Back to the beginning, it was a new start. It was a second chance Likewise, in our text, the Lord is reinstating Jonah as a prophet and he is entrusting him to carry his message to Nineveh. His commission is identical. The Lord says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. But his second Commissioning is more specific than the first was. Jonah is given the very words that he is to speak to Nineveh. Notice that God says, Call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah understood what he needed to do. So he began preparing himself for the journey to Nineveh. What God asked him to do was very hard. It was difficult. Jonah would be the first prophet to go and preach inside a hostile foreign nation. Again, Assyria was known for their cruelty and their wickedness. But God strengthened and equipped Jonah for the task. Jonah rose in obedience. Verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. If you're a Christian, then like Jonah, you've been given a commission as well. The great commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples of the nations. You're called to carry the message of the gospel to the lost. Whoever God has placed in your life, that's your mission field. Friends, family, co workers, classmates, acquaintances, neighbors. These are the people that God wants you to reach. It's no mistake, it's no coincidence. 2 Corinthians 5 says Christians are ambassadors for Christ. You're called to represent Jesus in this world. But carrying the message of the gospel to people around you can feel next to impossible. It's scary. Maybe you think you don't have the personality for it. Maybe you're afraid of the reaction. They're going to get angry. They're not going to believe me anyway. When you're reminded of your responsibility to carry God's message of the gospel to the lost, maybe you feel like Jonah, asking yourself if you're going to obey or disobey. With the second chance and with God's help, Jonah gets up and he heads east in obedience to God's command. And when he's in Nineveh, he begins to preach. And we see that people believe. We see the message of repentance believed. That's our second heading. The message of repentance believed. When Jonah arrived on the outskirts of the city, he likely marveled at what he saw. The second half of verse 3 says, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Nineveh was a prominent city in an empire that was built upon violence. It was one of three royal cities in the Assyrian Empire, And Nineveh contained a royal palace, so its city was very closely connected to the Assyrian monarchy. Uh, God must have, uh, as I'm sure you are aware, he must have provided Jonah with a supernatural boldness as he began walking down the streets of Nineveh and entering into Nineveh's marketplaces. Jonah proclaimed the message he was given. Verse four says, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. When it comes to Jonah's message, we're only given one sentence. It stands to reason that this is a summary of what his fuller message was. We often see this take place in places like the book of Acts, where you're given something of what was preached, but only a a snippet of it, of what would have been a much broader sermon. The text provides you with the main thrust or the main emphasis behind Jonah's message. He preached an oracle of doom. And if we look at the Old Testament prophets, we can reasonably infer the larger content of Jonah's message. In Jeremiah 18, the Lord commanded the prophet Jeremiah to go to a potter's house. And when Jonah arrived, he saw the potter working at his wheel. And the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. He said, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. When prophets preached oracles regarding impending judgment, it was to encourage repentance in order to avoid disaster. So, when we are thinking about the message that Jonah came with, we know that both of these elements are there disaster is coming. You need to turn from your sin, you need to believe, you need to call out for rescue. Just like Jonah, you and I are charged with carrying the message of the law and the gospel to people that God puts in our path. We have to warn people that they stand in jeopardy before the Lord. And that's because God is holy and just and pure. And we need to explain why that's a problem It's a problem because we've all sinned against God. The problem must be addressed. We have to tell people that without Christ, they will stand before God to be judged under his eternal wrath. We also need to proclaim the news about Jesus' death for people's sin and about his resurrection from the dead and his offer of eternal life. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. He is the only one who took on the wrath of God that was due to us for our sins. No one has to pay the penalty themselves. No one has to die for their own sins because God has sent his son, Jesus, to do that. But people must repent and believe. That's what we see the citizens of Nineveh do when they hear Jonah preaching. Verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The Ninevites were worshipers of a variety of false gods. But now they were aware of the one supreme deity and judge. But when they were confronted with the word of God, they believed the Lord. They called out to him. Jesus teaches us that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who calls us in question before God's judgment seat and awakens us to the true state of our heart when we're confronted with God's Word. It's like he comes in with a floodlight and he shines the Word of God on our hearts and we're finally able to see our need for forgiveness. When that happens, we find ourselves convinced and convicted of sin. On the day of Pentecost, about 50 days after Peter was restored, he preached a sermon on the streets of Jerusalem and the sermon was full of Christ. The scriptures say that when those in attendance heard it, they were cut to the heart They came under deep conviction, and the crowd cried in desperation, Brothers, what shall we do? They understood their spiritual bankruptcy. They realized their need for forgiveness. The same thing happens on the streets of Nineveh. As Jonah preached about the impending judgment, it struck home in the hearts of the Ninevites. Again, verse five says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Fasting is a means of seeking God's mercy while sackcloth is a symbol of of repentance the Ninevites believe that Jonah's words are God's words they trust the word that they have heard to be true and reliable their conversion is miraculous it's astonishing it's unimaginable the Ninevites believed God is so gracious and merciful. This should be a lesson to us. We tend to create lists in our heads of people who might believe someday and other people we are convinced will never believe. The conversion of Nineveh teaches that we need to take our lists and crumple them up and throw them away the people God places in your life are your mission field. Bring them the gospel. It's the Spirit's job to do the converting. As Jonah preached, the people of Nineveh began to respond and we see the message of repentance achieved. That's our third heading the message of repentance achieved. As Jonah made his way through the streets of the city proclaiming God's word, news of his arrival and of his message seemed to spread quickly. And soon the entire city became inflamed with the conviction of sin Verse 6 says that the word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The text says that he got up from his throne and that he took off his royal robe. He removed the symbol of authority that he wore and he set it aside. And once he had removed it, he put on sackcloth. And notice that he doesn't go back to his throne. Instead, he sat in ashes. The Lord's message has made this great statesman understand that he must humble himself before God. This is a beautiful picture of repentance It demonstrates how each of us ought to conduct ourselves before God, regardless of our wealth or our status. The gospel demands that you remove your crown and that you follow Christ as king. It demands it. You must recognize Jesus as Lord Well, as our text continues, you see that the king moves beyond personal repentance and he issues an edict demanding citywide participation in repentance and prayer to God. He declared that the people should fast and put on sackcloth. Verse 7 says, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Together, the Ninevites called upon God. They demonstrated their sorrow for the sin they committed against a holy and just God. Their mourning was appropriate because their sin was an offense to the Lord. Their grief was suitable because they didn't know the Lord, nor did they know the comfort of his steadfast love. The king adds a command for the people to call out mightily to God for their salvation. Salvation is only possible if you call out to God and ask him to forgive you, to rescue you. If you beg him to rescue you and redeem you. When they needed rescue, we saw the sailors cried out to the Lord, and Jonah cried out to the Lord when he was in distress. And now the people of Nineveh believed and cried out as well. As verse 8 continues, we read that the king's decree also commands that his subjects repent from their evil ways and violence The edict says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The Hebrew here is more personal, literally translated. It says, Let each person repent of his evil way. Let each person repent of his evil way. Nineveh was known for its cruelty. Their reputation for violence and evil was the reason God called Jonah there in the first place. Nineveh was serious about turning from their sin. Verse 10 confirms that. They understood that repentance involves changing your mind and life when it's contrary to God's commands. They realized that their lives were contrary to God's word And they were resolved to break with sin. In verse 9, the king's edict offers the possibility of hope and God's compassion. It recognizes that they are subject to God's mercy when it says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Jonah's mission was complete. The Ninevites acknowledged the true God and in humility and repentance, they hoped for God's compassion and deliverance. And that's exactly what they received. Verse 10 resumes the narrative saying, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Did God learn something new? Does he change his mind as he receives new information? No, of course not. God does not change, he's immutable. And God will never learn anything. He's omniscient. The text speaks with plain language that readers can easily understand. When God, who cannot change, appears to reverse course, we say that he relents. We apply human language to what seems to be the circumstance from our perspective. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach an oracle of impending judgment so that they would repent and believe. Nineveh's salvation was always part of his plan. God sovereignly exercises his supreme authority in executing his eternal purposes, and nowhere is God's sovereignty more clearly demonstrated than in his salvation of the lost. God is free to bestow his saving mercy on whom he pleases. God says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And this should free you as you share the gospel with people that God has placed in your life. Your job is simply to share the gospel. And it's God's job to do work in the hearts of the people so that repentance is achieved. In Jonah chapter one, you learn that Nineveh's wickedness had reached such a critical point that divine intervention was required. And the Lord chose Jonah to go And to preach about faith and repentance. But first, he had to do a work in Jonah's heart. And once Jonah was ready, the Lord reinstated him to deliver his message of salvation to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, in turn, weren't looking for salvation, they were perfectly content with their ways, even though judgment was looming over their heads. But the Lord is gracious and kind and merciful. He sent Jonah to warn them of the danger that they were in. And he also gave the Ninevites ears to hear the message and to turn from their sin. The text teaches that God is merciful towards sinners who believe and turn from their sin. And it taught Israel that the Lord's mercy extends beyond their borders, even to the nations. Nineveh served to foreshadow the great work of salvation that God was going to do among the nations in future days. And as we meditated on this text, we were reminded that our God is the God of second chances, even third, fourth, and fifth chances. There's forgiveness and restoration found in Jesus. And we were also reminded that, like Jonah, we are called to carry the message of the gospel to unbelievers that God has put in our lives, even the ones that may seem beyond salvation. God's mercy is great, He can accomplish things that seem impossible. And we see that in Nineveh. In Jonah chapter 3, we see the message of repentance, received, believed, and achieved. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in many ways, we were all Ninevites at one point. We were all uh, saved and or unsaved and under uh, judgment at some point and Lord you came to us with your word and you gave us ears to hear and Lord you gave us a new heart and a new mind and a will that was able to respond and we're thankful for your sovereign grace in our lives Lord if there are those who are unbelievers, even amongst us, we pray that you would have mercy on them, that you would give them ears to hear and that you would let them know that this message was written and preached right and directly for them. Lord, would you change hearts? Would you change minds? Would you strengthen wills? Would you cause people to believe and to repent and to turn to you and follow you? Lord, we would ask that you would give us boldness. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, to carry your gospel to unbelievers that are in our lives. Lord, we need your help. We pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would give us boldness and the desire to do so. Lord, may we be faithful to our calling. We'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.